Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Yo, 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 Home Slice, what's going on? Is this thing on? I think it's on. Are we live? In a manner of speaking. <laughs> Can't prove that I'm alive. No. We checked for a pulse. We found nothing. Well, you found something, but you were touching the wrong place. <laughs> you were touching the, you know, bad touch. Bad touch. <laughs> you were in my swimsuit area, Rich. Enough of that. <laughs> Grabbing the nips. Well, that's, that's just what because I was you're, you're famous I don't wear for, swimsuits there. That's just because you were wearing a bikini, you know, and I... You, I was wearing the lime green thong one piece. <laughs> that's right, like Borat. <laughs> Killing me over here. <clears throat> I'm going to throw Sorry some more wine that. at you. Uh, no, please, don't break any more of my fine china. Listen to that nice ring. Every time you do that, every time every you hear that time, bell, every a man time. falls off a scaffolding. <laughs> that's right, it's... <laughs> Sorry about that. Still struggling with the cold here. Uh, it's like six weeks now. Yeah, every time you hear a bell ring, it's not an angel getting their wings. It's an Aussie falling <laughs> off a forklift or something. Right, it'll go know. down in legend. Like a thousand years from now, people will be talking about, an Aussie will die if you ring a bell. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, since most of you don't know what we're talking about, we're having fun with our friend Neil from Australia, our, our solar power producing friend from the outback of, of Oz. I don't think he produces solar power. I don't no, think he he's does. Got, like, he's got panels he's, impregnated he's got solar in skin. Yeah, no, he's got shirts made of silicone and silicon. and Silicone? Just, yeah, well, you know. Well, he's got that, well, too. Yeah, it's, it's good for parts. Well, it's, it's for when he goes out at night and he dresses like, you know, the woman. <laughs> it's like a bad movie. He's a he's a solar panel installer by day, by day. hooker by night. That's right. Yeah, he's a. Uh, oh man, it reminds me of that episode of um, Solar Hooker. Reminds me of that episode of um, what that show that you like, um, Night Rider. <laughs> yeah, the one where they make clothing. You know, with the A Team. Uh, <laughs> no, work with me here. Silver spoons. Designers. Tim Gunn. You know that thing. Uh, Tim Gunn. Project Runway. Oh, I Spy? They had one episode where they Project had to Runway design is. clothes for those flamboyant, um, cross-dressing, transvestite type people. Right. You know? And it was it was outrageously funny. The Drag Queen episode. Drag Queen, that's right. Yeah, yeah Tim Gunn's great because every time he walks into a room, he sounds like he's half depressed and completely gay. Designers. Like he's about to give <laughs> bad news. Gather around, I have some bad news. You're all yeah. going to be killed. <laughs> And eaten alive. <laughs> Can you do that? Can you kill someone and I, eat them alive? I, I don't know. I'm I not even going to go there. <laughs> All right. It's a good show. Well, yeah, I've I've watched it a few times and uh, I've enjoyed it. I know you're a bigger fan than me. You just like to see what's her name, the Who? German chick. You're out. Yeah. Did I talk about that before? The the German chick married right, Seal. To, yeah, he's yeah. a Navy Seal. Who's at his best when he's covering other people's music, as far as I'm concerned, but. He's at his best not seen, but 
only heard. He was on Leno, and his wife was on like a month or two ago. They were both on. She was the first guest, and then he came out and sang some of the uh, Sam Cooke tracks off his latest record, which is a tribute record to like Sam Cooke and all that. Like I 60s think they've R&B. got children. Sorry? Would they be baby seals? Ah, uh, I don't know. But we need to beat them and <laughs> steal their them. fur. <laughs> That's right. Ah, <laughs> uh, but we uh, completely digress from, from no topic whatsoever. Well, we do have a topic. I don't know. It's it's the new year. Again, it's the second week of the new year. Ought nine. Hey, you and know we're what? still in Guantanamo and we're still in Iraq, by the way. We still are. But there was one thing I wanted to mention last week, which I didn't. Something that I that Fascistas. I, something that I hope that we don't have any more incidents of in the in the new year, uh, or at mm. least fewer incidents. Mm. Remember back uh in O eight when when that uh a woman went to a trial and she was wearing a hijab? Oh yeah. Yeah. I do I do actually. I debated that on Facebook quite a bit actually at that yep. time. That's right. Uh, th- that whole incident it still irks me that that people are so ignorant and uh willing ignorant. To, ignorant. Yeah. And if you haven't heard this yet, which I'd be surprised, we I'll put a link up on the on the blog, but it's a story about a a, a woman who who went wearing a, a traditional uh Muslim headdress. She was in it in a courtroom. And the like, like a small claims court or just something yeah. very you know minor. It wasn't like federal court, you know. And it wasn't the Supreme Court. The Sopranos weren't being deposed or anything like that. So she she's in the the courtroom, and the the judge because of his policy wanted her to remove the headdress. No hats allowed. Yeah, no headgear or something like that. And she didn't. She she said no. This is a. It's uh, uh, an expression of my faith. I'm not going to. So he held her in contempt of court and sentenced her to 10 days in jail. I mean, people are, are actually committing crimes out there. And, and this guy, this judge, is is uh, discriminating against someone. And um, he's, he's causing much harm in not just the, the Muslim community, but in uh, the rest of the communities in this, in this country because it makes us look like hicks. Well, it, you know— who did religious? Um, Bob Bill Costas. Ma- Bill Maher. <laughs> Bob Costas. Bill, from Syracuse, actually. Bill Maher once wrote a book called Why Do They Hate Us? And this is one of those things, you know, why would people hate us? Because we're, be, you know, we're, we're punishing someone for wearing a traditional form of headdress when our whole country, as I recall, was based on religious freedom. Right. The pilgrims came here for religious freedom. Of well, course, they should all be burned at the stake because they believe in any religion, but that's that's something else. Not to mention the fact that there are laws against discriminating because of someone's religion. I mean, you you cannot tell someone to remove a cross from their chest, even though it's less of a religious expression than the hijab, from what I understand. So, yeah, I'm going to put a link up on on, uh, on uh, our blog. And, and in the abstract, I'm okay with the judge's... With the, the spirit of his, his idea, I hate it, for example, when people wear hats indoors or sunglasses indoors. You know what I mean? It's like you're not that cool. You know, Take your hat off. And in fact, if you're in the military, it's, it's a rule that you remove your cover when you, when you go indoors. You take your hat off when you go indoors. It's part of military rule. And, and that even includes a car. You take your hat off and you put it on, you know, under your arm when you enter a car. But this is not the same thing. This is, nope. uh, this is a traditional headdress worn by Muslims. And I, I, I don't see it as a hat. I see it as a, a reflection of their, their faith. And while I'm not the most religious guy in the world, and in fact I might be the least religious guy in the world, um, I'm okay with that. Well, again, this is about what harm is it doing, really? 
what harm is it? Hurt? I mean, if if you've got just a rule for the sake of having a rule to remove your your head, well, head these gear. twerps who wear their baseball hats with the wicked bent brims, take them the freak off, you know. But but I don't. But this see, is something different. You see. I don't see that as being any different. I, I think that the rule should be if there's anything that's distracting or dangerous in the courtroom, that should be taken care of. If someone's wearing a hat that's blinking or if, if, they're, if they're dressed in such a way that, that they look like a punk and they're distracting people, then, yeah, remove them or, or well, the offensive clothes. I just think it's generally polite to remove your cover, as they call it in the military. Remove your hat when you're indoors. But a hijab is not a hat. It's, no, it's, it's not. part of your clothes. It's no different than your pants or your skirt or your shirt. Well, in, in, in fact, it's even more important because it's an expression of modesty. That's right. It's an expression of modesty. But, I mean, if you're a punk and you're wearing your stupid Metallica hat indoors, take it the fuck off. Jesus <laughs> Christ. You're not that cool. Take your sunglasses I wear my sunglasses at night. You're an asshole. Take them <laughs> off. No, you're Corey Hart. <laughs> well, that's what you are. That's what you are. Yeah, that's right. Jeez. Whoa. I didn't, I didn't, know, I didn't know you were so anti-hat. No. Well, no. But, I, you know, as, as much as I am not in tradition, there are some things that I am into. There are certain respectful things, and, and they all revolve around – I don't even know what word I would use to describe it. They revolve around basic, fundamental, like, ways of greeting people. You shake someone's hand. You look them in the eye. You, you give them their a firm handshakes. If you're a dog, you sniff their butt. That's right. But, I mean, you... Spin around in a circle. <laughs> and then you lay down. And then you get up, and 10 minutes later, and you spin around three times, and you lay down again. Well, no, if, but, if I mean, seriously, if you're, nice dog, if you're you shaking submit. someone's hand, you give them a firm handshake, and you look them in the eye, and, and in terms of a Western greeting, but, I mean, it's just not polite, according to the rules that I've learned, to wear your hat indoors. In fact, there was a Sopranos episode where they were at a very fancy restaurant, and Tony was dressed up to the nines in a great suit, and his the person across the table from him was dressed up, and there was some young punk wearing a hat. And Tony went over and said, Take your freaking hat off. You're in a, a a lovely restaurant here. It's not polite to wear your hat. And I was so with Tony on that one. So you're you're actually uh, promoting thuggery. <laughs> in the case of wearing a, a a baseball hat in a French restaurant, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I find it amusing. Well, no, I mean there are certain old-fashioned rules that I still adhere to and that's one of them. And you you agree that that you know, only the whites should have their, their <laughs> bathrooms <laughs> yeah and, and the women shouldn't be going to college now that one i agree with you know we let them vote jesus what more do they want you know <laughs> no i i don't have any problem with people wearing anything as long as it's not overly distracting or dangerous it's rude how is it rude because it's an old-fashioned rule i don't know well just... and what's the rule and you're the guy you're mr no no, no don't, i'm don't not have the any guy. arbitrary rules no but it's why it, what's this the is actually arbitrary i don't know the reason behind it but i agree with it i'm going to do some research so, so you're going back on this arbitrariness thing to me well, this is completely arbitrary well <sighs> this is like someone said no hats indoors because i said so and and you're saying, yeah, I'm down with that. But it was generally agreed upon for the last 100 years but that why? you don't wear your cover indoors. I don't know, actually. <laughs> I don't know the reason why. I'm going to do the research. And you're going to try to figure out a reason why you like it And that I way. bet there's a damn good reason for it. It's because there's bird crap on your hat from, riding, maybe. from hey, riding for hundreds of miles on your horse. You know, have you seen – I've been watching this on the History Channel a little bit lately. They showed it uh, a bit last weekend. Have you seen the uh, Band of Brothers, the little miniseries they did six years ago on HBO? I saw a couple of episodes. And I was like 
totally like drawn in by this. I started watching it on the History Channel, and it's gripping because it's the real story of twelve, like about twelve particular guys who were in this particular company in World War II. And what's really amazing about it is that they interview the the surviving members of Easy Company, E Company, of this. I, I don't know. They're they're an airborne air a paratrooper division, and um, you know they would interview the real guys, and then they would go to the the the, the drama, the teleplay. And there were actors playing all these guys. But, I mean, it was amazing because it was just a reproduction of what these guys actually went through. And, and the, It was like the, Saving Private Ryan but in serial form. Yes, but more real because they interviewed the people who actually were being played by, you know, the actual characters. Mm-hmm. The real-life characters were interviewed in their 80s or 90s, you know, before each episode. And then they were portrayed by actors later on in the, in the episode. And these were dramatic, you know, or, or accurate retellings of the events that they actually went through. Saving Private Ryan was, was fictionalized, you know. But from, what, from my perspective, it was, it was similar to Saving Private Ryan because well, it, was in, a, it was a portrayal that was more, a more realistic portrayal of war instead of the, you know, let's fight up the hill with John Wayne and, and yeah. beat well, those commies. I, I have a friend who was not able to be on this podcast who thinks that Saving Private Ryan was a very pro-war film, and I'd, I'd love to stress, you know, pressure him about that and see what he thinks about that. But this was, uh, I thought this was a little bit more real because these were the real events that these guys went through. You know, there was no James Ryan, and, and that was a fictionalized story based around the larger events, not unlike the Rome miniseries, but... Um, Good stuff. I, I might have to rent that and watch that from beginning to end. And it had Ron Livingston in it, who I only know from like office space, you know, as this sort of like lazy office worker guy. And here he is playing a captain in the army of Easy Company. You know, was, I don't know. I, I see him as a different guy. You know, I I, I haven't seen enough of the episodes, so I'll. Uh... I saw about five of them. I was just totally drawn in, and I just watched them all day last Saturday. I'll try to pick those up. Good stuff. Yeah. Hey, so, you know what we're going to do? Uh, we're tell gonna, me. We're going to take a break from this nonsense and listen to some nonsense. Something we haven't listened to in a while, actually. Yeah. Or at least the stylistically. Yep. Let's check it out.
song fades out still going it is still going actually oh it just ended that's something we haven't done in a while played a little Prague, Prague, prog rock good stuff who was echolin echolin one of my favorite new prog rock bands and uh what well, that was that new well i mean new in terms of it's not from the 70s 
Well, no, it's not like classic prog from 1972 ELP Tarkus or anything like that, but it's prog rock. It's relatively recent. From 92? Well, that counts. What was that one called? <laughs> 16 years. What was that one called? That was called Here I Am. Here I Am by Echolin. And those guys are the bomb, skiddly bomb, as my friend Donna would say. Skiddly bomb? I don't know where she gets that. She just pulls that stuff out of her Skittly bomb is like what you get when you eat too many Skittles. <laughs> Skittly bomb is what you get when you eat too many Skittles. It's sort of like, you know, like a like – a, uh, It's a gastrointestinal Yeah, it's disruption. a GI. It's a GI thing and uh, the bomb Skittly bomb. <laughs> hey, hey, it's a June. You're mint. <laughs> Taste the rainbow. <laughs> hey. Oh, hey. Oh. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, I saw a film that I mentioned, and I said, you should see it, because I um, loved it. You did love it. And you saw it. I did. I saw it um, two weeks ago. And what'd you think? What film are we talking about? Wall to the E. Wally. Wally. I liked it. It was cute. <laughs> That's his three-word review. <laughs> it was cute. Well, let's talk about this film. And again... One of our listeners out there I know prefers it when we talk about films that both of us have seen. We'll be talking about Deep Throat in a minute, but right now we're going to talk about Wally. I haven't seen that. Me either, actually. So. Okay. I'm sorry. We're 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 falling into Saving the Ryan's whole, privates. That's right. We're falling into the frat boy thing yep. again. But uh, so it's, Wally, it's the wine, the kid film. Wally. It was. It's a cartoon, like all of those stupid films from Pixar. It was not a cartoon. Kid film. They're cartoons. Okay. But I think that it was a, uh, a very well done cartoon and in the classic tradition of silent films. Not a lot of dialogue in that film, which nope. was really interesting because usually you need lots of – well, there was lots of stuff going on though, which mm-hmm. kept it interesting. You know, I, th- I think for the typical viewer, you know um, – if there weren't – if Wally wasn't as cute as he was and he had his little collections of weird little things like Rubik's Cubes and all those things in his little his little uh, home, you know, I think people might not have found it so compelling. They would have wanted a little more dialogue. But those guys at Pixar are so creative and so clever. They, they made Wally too cute. You thought he was too cute? So cute. To die for, that kind of thing, you know. You made you want to hug a robot? Yeah, no, he totally did, even though the robot was totally stolen from um, the Bruce uh, Dern film. <laughs> I can't think of the film. that I, I, I Short Circuit? No, 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 no. Going back to like 1971, what was that? The, he had the three robots, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. I showed you their picture oh, and I yeah, said that's yeah. what the robot, that's what Wally was based on. Um, I can't think of the film. It's a Bruce Dern classic sci-fi film from the early 70s, though. Well, there were a and lot of things. when I say things. Bruce Dern, I mean Laura Dern's father. Right. There were a lot of things in the film that were like homages to all sorts of other things. They but, do that. Yeah. But, but No teapots, though, thankfully. But what's funny about this, and I, I was thinking about this earlier, is this film is so filled with what you would normally call physical humor, but there's actually no physicality to it because it's all digital. It's all fictitious stuff. But it's it's humor based on what we perceive as, you know, physical sight gag type things, you know, tripping over stuff and reactions and not, like you said, not a lot of dialogue. And, and you got the emotion out of it and uh, you were drawn into the characters and, and made you want to hug a hunk of metal. Well, Wally was really cute and he was on a a singular mission to clean up the planet Earth. 
And part of his original mission. And he continued his mission, except he started building skyscrapers out of these little hunks of one by one by one metal that he would form with his (laughs) internal compactor. Yeah, trash compactor thing. And um, and then it all changed one day when a rocket landed. A rocket from uh, one of the space. What was the name of the? There, you know, we're. There's so much going on in this film. I mean, there's a larger message in this film. Mm-hmm. Mono cultures are bad. That's one of the messages in this film. Mono corporations are bad. You know, I keep dropping something here. What What was the name of the giant? The, by and large. By and large, which I think was definitely a statement on the Walmart Corporation, you know, mm-hmm. that you have this one company that does everything. And whenever you have a mono culture, culture of any kind, it's not a good thing. And I think that was one of the messages of this film. There were lots of messages. It was very anti-corporate, although I will point out that Disney isn't necessarily the most benign corporation on the planet, you know? Well, although if you look at the the Pixar lineage, um, it, it isn't – it still isn't a, a Disney-controlled um, company. I mean, they, their heart and soul is not – Disney. Well, clearly, they're, I mean, their, their message separate. was pretty political in this film. And, and in fact, they didn't want to be. They they wanted to sever ties with Disney, and there was a there was sort of like a whole buyout thing where Disney just ended up buying them because they wanted them, because they were one of the more profitable uh, ventures that that they got involved in. Um, so, but they don't do things the way Disney does, and and they don't. Well, they don't, clearly, I, I don't yeah. think Disney would have made a film quite with the message that this film had yeah. um, on, on its own. You know. No, and and I think that the, some of the bigger messages you had, like the you know, the, the whole corporate greed thing, or, or following a corporation is a bad thing. You know, blindly following anything is a bad thing because there are a lot of <laughs> sudden. What? What did I hear out of John's mouth? Hey, there's no blindness. There's there's full open eyes here, and there's like I've said, there's questioning, but. But following these corporations and following these rules, these arbitrary rules of no, not wearing hats for some reason or just wearing blue or red, it's it's not necessarily a good thing. And and primarily one of the, the things that, that Wally learns is that, that uh, he's seeking for something more meaningful, a connection with another being. And that's what he's really searching for. He's not looking to clean up anymore. He's looking to... But he was going to continue to clean up. Oh, I mean, well, I think it was just, part of his program. It's part of his program. He can't, he can't break that. He's a robot. So he's he's going through, quote, unquote, life, you know, looking. Probably look, well, in, in what I probably was about 600 years of life because he built lots of oh, tall yeah. buildings, you know. Yeah. And he was solar powered. That's right. Yes, he was. Yeah. And, and what's also funny is all these different little references. And, and one of them was every time he, he – uh, he would charge up his solar batteries again, and he sounded start up. like a Macintosh. Sounded like a Mac up. starting yeah. up, and that's not by accident <laughs> because you know Steve Jobs owns Pixar. <laughs> yes. So yeah, I, th- I think that that the film. Um, I, I think we got to stop looking at these these animated films as something separate from the film world because they they have the w- awards for best film. Then they have the awards for best animated feature, and and I think this one stands up with the rest of the films that are made last year. I mean, it's it's just as good, if not better, than most of them. Well, it, it had a lot of cultural commentary in it as well. I mean, you know, you and I both work. In, well, <laughs> you work. I used to work in in a technology kind of based uh, arena, 
And I mean, Microsoft sort of got famous in the in the eighties for people in cubicles next to one another sending each other emails, even though they were one cubicle apart, literally eight feet apart, or something like that. And there are things going on in this film that are very much like that. The Earth became so uninhabitable that the by and large corporation created these giant spaceships that allowed people to flee the Earth in hopes of finding another planet or at least in hopes of living out in space long enough so that the Earth would be habitable again. Yeah, the cleanup and, robots like Wally. Wa- yeah, Wally was one of the cleanup robots who was designed to clean up all the waste that, that the human race had, had left behind. And every once in a while, they would send a rocket back to Earth looking for life, a plant, or a- any form of life, or Wally's friend, the little cockroach that had survived that he killed several times but yet managed not to kill. It was a nuclear-enhanced cockroach. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, I mean, there, there, there are so many cultural messages in there. And as this, this spaceship was apparently out away from the planet Earth for 600 years, either looking for another habitable place to live or waiting for Earth to become habitable again. And, I mean, you know, we were talking about this before. They, they had a, a pictures of all the different captains, the generations of captains who had inhabited the, the bridge of this vessel. I, I don't know if it had a name or not, the vessel. But because the people led such a sedentary lifestyle where they didn't do anything and everything was provided for them by the computers and by automation, the generations got heavier and heavier and heavier and less physically fit as time went on. And you would look at the pictures of all the captains and they went from being a normal, average build, physically fit person to like a, you know, a 400-pound overweight person who was unable to even walk without the aid of a special wheelchair, if you will, an automated, you know, chair of some Hover kind. Hover chair. A hover chair. That's right. And again, I mean, that's, you know, we live in a country where obesity is a very big problem, yet in other parts of the world where they don't have McDonald's and all of these stupid fast food, Walmart-driven corporate societies, that isn't as big of a problem. So Pixar, in the animators of Pixar and the storytellers of Pixar, were definitely um, telling a larger story here. It just wasn't meant to be a cute movie about these two robots who fall in love, which is really what part of the story was. Yeah, and if but if it wasn't done with some of the details, then it wouldn't be so compelling. I mean, the, the big ideas really get driven home because all these other ideas are going on. You've got all these different layers. It's like a seven-layer burrito that you get from Taco Bell. <laughs> well, wait a minute. We're back in the fast food. No, so it, it's 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 multifaceted, multilayered, and I mean, it's even a, some of the, the multilayered small... Multilayered conundrum. <laughs> some of the small things, the subtleties are great. Like the the one robot that's sent back on the ship to look for life is is looking for all these different signs of life. Her name is Eve. She comes, which is sort of interesting too. That, true, you know, her name is Eve. You know, to recolonize the Earth. You know, one of the first people. I mean, that and wasn't couldn't it be an accident. Cool, how she looked all nice and shiny like an iPod. Well, she and she did it, <laughs> right. and, and and her limbs weren't connected. They were like, like hovering, hovering. You know, like like controlled by force. I don't know. You had to see it. Unlike Wally, who was a pretty primitive robot right. by by the standards of Eve, but yet you know they they fell in love. Right. So, but but Eve is looking for, and that stood for something too. They came up with a clever acronym, like like Earthly Vegetation, you know, Searcher. I, I don't know. Eve, well, and Wally for, stood for something too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But I but remember the the, um, the acronym, but I don't remember it. But the 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 neat thing was, you know, she comes down to the planet, is ignoring Wally completely. Well, she's not even aware he's there. He's yeah. following her around covertly. Yeah, and <laughs> he's very smart. That Wally and. She's looking for any signs of life. 
she goes from place to place sampling the soil, sampling this. Every time she hears a noise, she looks and something blow things up. Or, and, or she shoots at it. Yeah. Right. But the thing is, she's looking for one definition of life. And the reality is, Wally's alive. Wally's... He's, well, no, we don't know that. She may be looking for more than one definition of life. Well, she's looking for a definition of life that she's been programmed she's to recognize. She's looking for biological life. Right. But the the thing is, she's she's missing what's right in front of her eyes is the thing that's valuable in this this personality, this character. And it's the same thing with, you know, the rest of the people on that ship. They're looking for just survival, but they're not actually experiencing life. They're not living. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, I'm not giving anything away because I'm sure people have seen this by now. And if you haven't, see it. Yeah. And And if you haven't, this is a spoiler, they come back to Earth at some point and the captain just says, you know, F this. We're not going to live this way anymore. It's going to be tough. And they go back to being primitive, but they're more alive than they were with all the technology. They're going to start growing their own food. They're going to start growing their own pizza. (laughs) And then... It surprised me that the closing credits, Peter Gabriel shows up. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, great tune. Actually, my kids even liked that, and they uh, they bought that on iTunes for ninety nine cents. This um, <laughs> I'm throwing in the corporate references here that's as right. much as possible. And, and the the great thing about this film was that it, it reminded me very much of a Twilight Zone episode from the fifties. Of course, all Twilight Zone episodes. episodes Everything reminds you of a Twilight Zone episode. Doesn't it? Well, it's Wally is a, an animated science fiction film, really. I mean, that's what it is. It takes place in some yeah. sort of grim future, and um, we're heading there, whether we like it or not. We are heading there. That's the message. But there was so little actual spoken dialogue in this film; it was remarkable. But the people at Pixar are so talented that they they tell the story um, visually so compellingly. That you didn't need a lot of dialogue in the beginning. I mean, the amount of words that were actually said in this movie, you know, you could probably count, yeah, I don't know, 100, 150 words, whatever. It's not a lot. And it was just such a remarkably told visual story that you didn't need the words, but it reminded me of an episode of The Twilight Zone called Invaders, I think it was called, where, like, for the first 20 minutes of this half-hour episode, not one word was spoken. But it was so compelling and dramatic, you know, the the story that was being told by Rod Serling, who was a master storyteller. He should work for Pixar, except he's dead and all. There's the whole dead thing. There's the whole dead thing. But, I mean, if, if Serling were alive, he would be employed by Pixar, you know. He would be a storyteller. He'd be one of their writers, and... It was remarkable. Really, it really – and beyond the fact that there was a large message in the story, it was cute. I mean, it's going to appeal to kids. There are some things in like all Pixar films or like The Simpsons or like all of these sort of animated shows that are on now. There are things in there for the adults that the kids – it's going to go right over their heads. And there are things in there for the kids as well, you know. So it's, it's, a, it's just – it was a pretty remarkable film. But like every single one of Pixar's films, at least every one that I can think of right now – they are – they're becoming classics, the kind of films that as kids grow older, they can rewatch and get more out of it. You know, they can start to appreciate the adult themes in them. And Do you know, um, do you know what Ben Burt sampled – what sound Ben Burt sampled for Eve's gun? Flushing a toilet. Uh, a slinky. A slinky? <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Ben Burt, by the way, is uh, one of the big audio designers, sound designers from Hollywood. He he cut his teeth and made his name on Star Wars. 
and he not only voiced Wally in this film, but he did all of the uh, the sound design for the film. And it's pretty remarkable because with an animated film, you're starting from nothing. You know, if 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 you and I go and shoot a scene of cars driving by, and or you and I having a dialogue in Central Park, we automatically have background noises in captured in the dialogue if we use the dialogue that was recorded when you and I were making the scene but in an animated film you have nothing so sound design has to go from 0 to 100% you know there's no um free background noises like you would get you know if you're just shooting a dialogue they have to create everything from scratch and and Ben Burt did a pretty remarkable job in this film yeah the, good the, stuff the sound the visuals the style i mean the way you go from the 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 rusted out, desolate earth that's all browns and grays and and yellows. And then when you go to the ultra stylized spaceship where everything's perfectly clean, pristine, plastic whites and silvers and reds and blues. And it's just beautiful. It's uh visually orally A A U R. Orally. Ah, uh. Again, one of my favorite films when it came out was uh, The Incredibles, again by Pixar. I think it made your top 20. Yes. And, we'll have to and, revisit that this and summer. And Wally is up there. I mean, every single one of Pixar's films is, is has a, a good chance of being in the, the top 10. They're talented people. Um, you know that show, um, what, the, the Big British Cook? He has to cook for like 1,000 people in seven hours. Gordon so. Ramsay. No, 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 no. The, 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 uh, what, what is that show on food TV? Bobby Flay. No, seriously, help me out here. What, what's the show I'm thinking of where you have to – the Iron Chef Michael Simon is the new guy. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. He did a, a, a meal preparation for Pixar. Did you see that one? No. And they, they had to – each course had to be based on some theme taken from a Pixar film. Nope, so he designed a menu based on Pixar films and he had to feed the staff of Pixar. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was really cool. It was really good. I saw a uh, a Pixar – cake competition on Food Network and uh, the people who did the the cake of that blue sully creature the furry sully creature from uh, from Monsters Incorporated the cake collapsed <laughs> sully, well, that's never good. sully collapsed all over the place anyway yep let's let's play a track let's just check out some tunes here
There you go. Where do we go? Where do we go from here? There you go. Who was that? That was Feet of Clay, and uh, that track was called She Said. <laughs> it reminds me. What of did a, she say? Well, I don't know. Well, but that's e- what she said. Every guy in the world I know, and so, you know, you say something and every guy goes, oh, that's what she said. Potato pancakes. That's what she said. Right. I don't know what that means, but. It could mean anything. So, you know, I didn't see this film at Munson, but I'm just going to talk about this very briefly. Um, it was a film called Seventh Street, and it's a documentary filmed by uh, a filmmaker and an actor named Josh Pace, or P-A-I-S, Pais. If that were Spanish, it would be Pais, which means country. But um, Or it could be Josh, he's Jewish, it could be Josh Pace. I don't know. Not don't so know. much. I don't know. But one of your favorite films and my favorite films, in fact, one of the films I introduced you to was a film called uh, The Station Agent. And there was a scene in this film where a particular actor was um, – uh, it was a film for it – it was a scene where a bunch of film buffs had uh, – I'm sorry, train buffs had gathered together. And they were all talking, reminiscing and talking about the good old days and showing films of train trips they've been on. And this actor, Josh Pace, was showing some film that he had taken in Canada. And – Later on, in my next viewing of the film, I watched it with the director's commentary on, and the directors were also accompanied by the three actors who did the film. And when that scene came on, they were talking about this actor, Josh Pace, and that he was a wonderful filmmaker as well, and he he did a film called Seventh Street, and they were all very complimentary of the film, so I added it to my blockbuster queue like a year ago, and it finally came in the other day. And this is Josh Pace's homage to Alphabet City, you know, A. Um, you know, when they ran out of numbers, they started calling some of the streets in Manhattan A, B, C, and D. So he lived in a neighborhood um, which was 7th Street in, like, you know, Avenue A, Avenue B, Avenue C, Avenue D, somewhere around there. And this was a, a pretty interesting film because he – part of the reason he ended up there was because his parents had separated and his mom didn't have a lot of money. So they ended up down in this particular neighborhood. And as he got older, he decided to start making a documentary about the uh, – uh, about the neighborhood and he loved the neighborhood for many reasons you know because he lived there but he got to know what he called his street family the homeless people that lived in the neighborhood the quirky neighbors you know he he got to know everybody really well like Larry Dallas would come by and talk about the, <laughs> the twins he was yes, shagging that's right and uh, the homeless guy was named Merlin you know he he was this guy who had a college degree but something traumatic had happened in his life and I mean these sort of interesting stories compel me because we're no different than that guy if something is as traumatic happened in our lives as happened in that guy's life we might end up in the same place as he did you know what, what what's that saying there by the grace of God go I or something like that you and they're know? you quoting I, I'm, religion again. Not that. Not that it's religious, but I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of truth in that statement. You know, we're all humans, and we share. We're just one step away from. We're, being we're all the people one step away from being that, that homeless guy. But we, I don't disdain them. They're people. No, I'm just They're saying human that we, as in you know, society, looks down upon, and and we could be those people very easily. That's right. In many ways, we're all a few paychecks away from being homeless, especially in this economy. In many ways, we're all a few traumatic incidents away from being that crazy guy that we see on the street so yeah, josh i've got that look in my eye so watch it buster <laughs> so josh pace wanted to chronicle all of this including his 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 neighborhood and there came a point in the film where he got cornered by one of the local drug dealers and the drug dealer thought he was shooting him and by him i mean the drug dealer so the drug dealer was threatened by the shooting of this film he felt that it might put him out of business or hurt his income so he felt compelled to threaten josh 
And he stopped filming this film for five years. But then something remarkable happened, and that was that the city decided to start caring about this neighborhood in Manhattan again. And the police came in, and they swept all the drug dealers out of there. And then there's a moment in the film where Josh Page says something like, you know, all the drug dealers went away, but then somebody worse came in real estate agents, you know, and they started gentrifying and redeveloping the area into a a neighborhood that the people who used to live there couldn't afford to live in anymore. But he ended up, uh, you know, finished filming his documentary, his little homage to 7th Street, and it was just a very sweet portrayal and um, look at the people and, you know, the the circumstances around how the the neighborhood developed and how it ended up becoming what it is today. And it was was pretty interesting. I mean, it wasn't a particularly long film. It was 70 minutes. And, you know, I mean, there's obviously no, you know, digital effects in there. There's no no Pixar or, uh, you know, ILM stuff in there. Wally doesn't show up. No, Wally's not in there, but it's just a, a, a sweet story told by a man who clearly loves his neighborhood. Told in a in a an interesting and um, fond way, you know. So it's it's a pretty interesting piece of work, and uh, I liked it. I, I'm I'm a big documentary fan, so I, I recommend most documentaries. But cool. Seventh Street by Josh Pace, you know, good stuff, good stuff. Cool, I'll I'll dig it. That's right. So where are we at now? Are we you done? Know, you know where we are. I don't know. What when do we I got? click this little zero, oh. we get klaxons. What does it mean? What's the larger message here? The larger message is. We are done. This is our. We are, we are finished. Our second show. This of, will be the last show ever produced today. Second show of Aught Nine. And you're listening to the Crippler, Rich Wilgus. <laughs> and the guy across the table from me is Butterbean. I have no idea why he started doing this. His medication must be wearing off. John Tallarico, better known as Butterbean. Yeah, <laughs> Superfly Butterbean. <laughs> That's right. To you, Mr. Perfect, the handsome John Tallarico. We all need pro wrestling names, you know. <laughs> you must be. Uh, I'm the Crippler, and in your move is the Polish Hammer. <laughs> well, that's Ivan Putski. But anyway, well, he's dead. You've been listening to another. No, he's not. You've been listening to another fine episode of Bloodthirsty Vegetarians, and we'll see you next time. 